Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Ezra. Every Christian has their own spiritual gifts that the Lord has given. God doesn't use every individual Christian the same way. Today, Pastor J.D. will be encouraging us to cooperate with the Holy Spirit to do our part in furthering the kingdom of God, just as the Jewish people had different roles to play in rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of this broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now here's Pastor J.D. with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth in Ezra chapter 1. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the freewill offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. A couple of things I want to point out here, the first of which is that Cyrus issues this decree, and it's only really for a remnant that actually returns, not all returned. Some stayed, and the ones who stayed, very interesting, uh, supported the, the remnant that went back to Jerusalem, which would have required a, an enormous amount of faith. This would have been a very difficult, just to travel there from Babylon and to get there, and it would have been really uh, a life and death uh, experience just to even make it there. And so we're, we're told about this remnant and it's interesting because it actually fulfills yet another prophecy in Isaiah and it's chapter 10 verse 22. For though your people, O Israel, be as the sand of the sea, a remnant of them will return. The destruction decreed shall overflow with righteousness. The reason I wanted to point this out and before we go on to verse 5. Uh, there's something here I want to uh, draw your attention to. And it's a very important principle, and it's one that I'm learning in my uh, experience, especially in pastoral ministry. But to me, this speaks to how it is that we don't have to coerce people or try to convince people to do what God hasn't called them to do. We should never use guilt or manipulation to try to get people to serve or to go. 
unless God has called them, I think we do err greatly when we try to, especially as leaders, when we try to convince people, hey, you need to, you know, step up to the plate and you need to commit and you need to do this and you need to serve. Listen, if God hasn't called you, first of all, I don't want you serving if God hasn't called you. It, It is disastrous when you put people in positions that God has not called them to. Just out of sheer desperation. It was recently that we expressed our need for uh, servants in the children's ministry. And I'm always conflicted because if there was ever a, a uh, an area of importance within a church, it's in the area of the children's ministry. I've often shared how that if I wasn't the pastor of this church, I would serve in the children's ministry in this church. It is such a rewarding area to serve. All of the people that I talk to that serve in the children's ministry so faithful share with me that that they go to bless only to find that they're the ones that are blessed. And so it's always kind of difficult and I'm conflicted. I kind of anguish over it because I, I want people to experience, you know, th- that uh, serving in that area of ministry. But yet, and we are, we are, well, here's an example. Here we are on a Thursday night. We don't have any uh, children's ministry. The laborers are few. The, the harvest is ripe. Uh, let me just make another reference to this Tuesday night prayer meeting, if you don't mind. Uh, on this particular night uh, that, that we were there, uh, Pastor Simbola was moved to pray for the children. He even got the um, those that work in the area of uh, education, the bus drivers, the teachers, the counselors, everybody that works in the education system. And he had them come up on the stage and they sat in the chairs where the choir would sit. And there's some like, I don't know, 200 chairs up there. Uh, they have almost as many chairs in the choir as we do in this entire sanctuary. <laughs> and so they all sat and, and they prayed for them. They prayed for these kids and they prayed in, in different age groups. And one of the age groups was, I think, the 13 to the 18 year olds. And my son Elias went forward and was prayed for all of these, uh, young people. Then the, I think it was the 8 to the 13, and then the, uh, he even had little uh, toddlers, and the parents bring up their toddlers and these kids, and they prayed for the kids, man. And the, the emphasis was on the children and praying for the children. And that was one of the reasons why he wanted for Sabia to sing as a 10-year-old uh, at that prayer meeting, you know, because the focus was on praying for the children. And as I witnessed this, I was, again, so deeply moved, so powerfully touched. It just really kind of hit me that those people are called. I don't imagine, uh, you know, Pastor Symbol having to get up and try to convince people to serve <laughs> in the children's ministry. I mean, they have this this thriving ministry to these young people there in this church, and you know, it's it's one of those things where um, Jesus said that you 
need to pray to the Lord of the harvest for the laborers because the harvest is ready, the harvest is ripe. I was uh, raised in a very small farm town. I know a thing or two about harvest. It was so critical to get the crops in before the weather came that they would actually delay the start of school at harvest time. And they would take us as, you know, uh, high school kids, and we drove the trucks and the combines, and we would take the grain to the elevators. But there was such an urgency during the harvest time. Because when that wheat was ready, you had to harvest it. If you didn't harvest it, you lose it. And so there was such an urgency. And when Jesus says, pray to the Lord of the harvest, that laborers are raised up because the harvest is ready. And the time is now. And the urgency is here. And so that's why the emphasis has been and will continue to be on prayer. I made a a comment to uh, the elders and uh, to Gail that everything we do in this church is going to be birthed out of prayer. We are going to go to the Lord of the harvest and we are going to pray and we are going to ask for laborers. And we're going to pray for the young people. We're going to pray for this community, for this area. It's all going to be birthed out of prayer. We're not going to do anything until we've prayed. We are going to pray, pray, pray. Well, let's move on. Verse 5. Then the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, with all whose spirits God had moved, arose to go up and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And all those who were around them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with precious things, besides all that was willingly offered. I want you to notice something here. Uh, in verse 5, where it says that it was only those whose spirits God had moved. They're the ones that arose by faith to return back to Jerusalem. And I want you to contrast that with verse 6. Those whom God's Spirit did not move are the ones who did not return, but they still did something. They encouraged those who did return. How did they encourage them? They encouraged them by supporting them, and they did so of their own volition. This was, as it's been said, a get-to and not a got-to. Now, this speaks to another very important principle when it comes to God's calling on our lives. We all have different callings. We all have different giftings. Uh, God has called me and gifted me as a pastor teacher. But we're all different parts of the same body. Your calling is not my calling, and my calling is not your calling. We're all called and gifted in different ways. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. Now, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, 
First of all, that would be really freaky. (laughs) Where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Did you notice conspicuously absent from the narrative here in Ezra is any mention of those that return looking down on those who didn't? Those who returned to Jerusalem, as difficult as it would have been, looking down on, or even saying to those who didn't return, Ha, oh, you're not going to go, huh? Sure, look at us, we are. Like somehow we're superior, and because you're not going, you're inferior. That would be akin to the hand, saying to the foot, I don't need you. No, I need you. I need you to not return, to stay and support us so we can. This is how the different parts of the body work together and fit together. Romans 12 is more specific, and I want to read verses 3 through 8. Paul writing to the church in Rome says, For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For we, as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. And then he goes on to list those gifts. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. These are the gifts that God gives to each part of the body to minister to the body. Uh, over the years, I've used this illustration. I uh, used it with both of my boys when they were young. And so now they're uh, older. And so I'm going to use my uh, daughter Sabia in this illustration. And I hope it'll help by way of an application. So let's just say for purpose of discussion that my 10 year old daughter Sabia notices that I need, uh, some water, a glass of water. 
uh, don't bring me any water. I already have a bottle. It's got a, anyway. Uh, and so she brings uh, me some water uh, to the pulpit. And as she's walking up, because her shoes are untied, she trips and falls just as she's about to uh, give me the glass of water. Now, you watch what unfolds, and you can see who has what gift. So upon seeing this, you got seven people now rushing to the front of the sanctuary, and they're going to begin using their gifts. So the one with the gift of prophecy is going to say something like this. Sabia, in the future, be prudent and foresee the danger of not having your shoes tied. That's the gift of prophecy. The one with the gift of serving doesn't say anything. They just grab some towels and they start cleaning up, and it's a joy for them to do that. And I love seeing those that have this gift. Oh, you'll see them, especially on a Sunday morning. They got a rubbish bag in their hand, they're taking it out. They got a broom, they got a dustpan, they got a mop, they got a rag, they're cleaning up. That is their gift. That's they, they love doing that. They love to serve. They have the gift of serving. Now, how about the gift of teaching? Oh, this is an interesting one. The one with the gift of teaching is going to say something to Sabia like this. Perhaps it would be wiser for you to purchase shoes that don't have shoelaces. This is a teachable moment. And I'm going to use my gift of teaching to teach you what you need to do. Then you have those with the gift of encouragement. I love this gift. I love those with this gift. The one with the gift of encouragement is going to say something like this. Oh, Sabia, don't be discouraged. We all stumble. We all fall. You get back up, sweetheart. You be encouraged, sweetheart. That's the gift of encouragement. And you know who has that gift. They're always encouraging people. Now, how about the gift of giving? This is a great gift too. The one with the gift of giving is going to come up to Sabia. He's going to pull out $50. Of course, I don't even know if that's going to be enough these days. So let's say $100. He's going to give it to her because they have the gift of giving. And they're going to say, go buy yourself some new shoes. And by the way, get the ones with the Velcro instead of the you know shoelaces. Then you have the one with the gift of mercy. And the one with the gift of mercy is going to give her a big hug and say something to her like, oh, it's okay. I know how you feel. Don't be embarrassed. Nobody's mad at you. It's all right. I'm here for you. That's the gift of mercy. Then you have the gift of leading, lastly. And the gift of leading is the one who uh, just takes the lead. And everybody, you always know who has the gift of leading. Because they're the ones that everybody's looking to because they're, they're saying something and they're kind of delegating, you know. Uh, Sabia, uh, get, next time just bring a bottle of water with a, a lid on it. Hey, uh, grab that right there. Uh, hey, go, go get this and, and, and go do that. And, and they're, they're, you know, you gotta love that one. They're just barking out orders as they take the lead and make the decisions and take charge. That's the gift of leading. Well, let's finish the chapter. Verse seven. King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and put in the temple of his gods. 
And Cyrus, king of Persia, brought them out by the hand of Mithradath, the treasurer, and counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. This is the number of them. Look at these numbers. 30 gold platters, 1,000 silver platters, 29 knives. These were all stolen when they were taken into captivity. Now they're going to be returned. 30 gold basins, verse 10, 410 silver basins of a similar kind, and 1,000 other articles. All the articles of gold and silver were 5,400. All these Sheshbazar took with the captives who were brought from Babylon to Jerusalem. I want to uh, end the chapter and with it the Bible study by just making mention of something I think that is uh, good to take home with us. Uh, might be a firm grasp of the obvious, but think about this. None of this would have happened. None of this could have happened unless God had moved on the hearts of those that he had called by name in Cyrus's case. Let me say it this way. Only God could do this. You know, I find sometimes in my uh, prayer life as of late that I, I pray, and even in my prayer journal, I'll, I'll say something like this. Lord, do this as only you can. Only you can do this. This is something that only you can do. Unless you do this, this will never happen. Unless God moved on the heart of King Cyrus, this would have never happened. Unless God moves on your heart and my heart, that which we are called to do will never happen. Only God can do it. And I can't think of a better way to end the chapter and the Bible study then with the display of God's power over man's affairs. Uh, Damian Kyle, who is the pastor of Calvary Chapel in Modesto, California, said it this way, and I love this, and it just, I think, says it all. God overrules all and rules over all. Let me say it again. God overrules all and rules over all. God can rule over the rulers, the, the Persian kings, the Gentile kings, the U.S. presidents, if I can say that. I just did. God overrules all and rules over all. And this is a good example of that. We're so glad we've had this time with you today as we've continued through the book of Ezra with Pastor J.D. Farag. Pastor J.D. is the lead pastor at Calvary Chapel Kaneohe in Kaneohe, Hawaii. And if you happen to live here, you're invited to visit. Calvary Chapel Kaneohe holds services Sundays at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. and in-depth Bible studies each Thursday at 7 p.m. Directions can be found on our website, in spiritandtruthradio.com. If you can't join us in person, you can still benefit from Pastor J.D.'s teachings through our online resources at inspiritandtruthradio.com. 
simply click listen on the top of the page to gain access to a number of previous messages by Pastor J.D. in various books of the Bible. You can also find these teachings on our mobile app and take them with you on the go. In addition to accessing those teachings, you can also check out the Mideast Prophecy Update, where Pastor J.D. shares current events and their prophetic importance. Here's Pastor J.D. to tell you more. Yes, Josh, that's right. In doing the prophecy updates, we do focus our attention on current events through the lens of Bible prophecy. In John's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 29, Jesus said that he has told us what's going to happen before it happens, so when it happens, we will believe. This is why we have a very simple gospel presentation at the end of each prophecy update. It's our hope and prayer that many would come to salvation in Jesus Christ. Sure hope you'll join us each and every Friday and Saturday for our Bible Prophecy Update. You can also find the updates at InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. There you'll find a link to our YouTube channel for the latest update. Thanks, Pastor J.D. It's our prayer that the scripture shared here will work its way into your heart and life through the Spirit's power. Join us for more from the book of Ezra on the next edition of In Spirit and Truth. Will you-